Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najeri and Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan and Guy Adami. Stocks tumbling as the Fed raises rates for the first time in over a decade. Cuts rates, excuse me. Coming up, we will break down the four words that set off the Powell plunge, plus instant market reaction from the man who moves markets. J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovic is standing by to weigh in. But we begin with the Fed fallout. Steve Leisman is live in Washington for us. Steve, big day. Yeah, big day, Melissa. And we not only get a lot of tweets about what the Fed's going to do, now we get instant tweets from the president about what they just did. The president just now tweeting about the decision by the Federal Reserve and Jay Powell saying, quote, what the market wanted to hear from Jay Powell and the Federal Reserve was that this was the beginning of a lengthy and aggressive rate cutting cycle, which would keep pace with China, the European Union and other countries around the world. As usual, Powell let us down, but at least he is ending quantitative tightening, which shouldn't have started in the first place. No inflation. We are winning anyway, but I'm certainly not getting much help from the Federal Reserve. That's the president of the United States. The Federal Reserve cutting rates for the first time since 2008 today, bringing the rate that it controls for overnight lending among banks down by one quarter percentage point, the new range between two and two and a quarter percent. That's what the market expected. But in a press conference, Powell appeared to dial back market expectations for future rate cuts. <clears throat> the committee is really thinking of, of this as, uh, as a way of adjusting policy to a somewhat more accommodative stance to further the three objectives that I mentioned, to um, ensure against uh, downside risks, to, to provide support to the economy, that those factors are, uh, where, where factors are, are, pushing, are, are pushing down on economic growth, and then to support inflation. So we do think it'll serve all of those goals. But again, we're thinking of it as essentially in the nature of a mid-cycle adjustment to policy. So there you go. Stocks sold off immediately when they heard that term mid-cycle. They began to question whether the Fed's going to deliver those two additional cuts that were priced in for this year. Powell later went on to clarify. He said, hey, he didn't mean to imply the Fed was done after cutting rates. And it's important to remember the Fed also provided further easing, ending the reduction of its balance sheet two months early. The Fed in the statement explained the rate cuts come amid a U.S. economy still growing, but with growing concern about overseas developments and muted inflation. Just for the record here, two Fed bank presidents dissented. They said they wanted to hold rates unchanged. And then I asked him, how can you know what comes next for the Fed? Powell said, there's just not a lot of experience of central banks in responding to global trade wars. He said the Fed is, quote, learning by doing. Melissa. So, Steve, do you think he just put his foot in his mouth when he said mid-cycle policy adjustment? Or, or did he actually mean that the cycle is actually intact, the cycle, the move towards normalizing rates. So I feel like he didn't stick the landing, Melissa. That's the best way I can put <laughs> Say it. Say the least. Yeah. Um, and, and I think he went in with a very high degree of difficulty. You can compare this to a gymnastics routine, right? And it is probably not far from one, at least a verbal gymnastic routine. He let the market go in with this expectation of three rate cuts. And the Fed did nothing to, tampen that da- to tamp that down, Okay. And then he goes in and he says, look, here's what we did. We cut. And he said, here's why we did this cut. And that was kind of okay. But the landing is the part about, hey, here's what we're going to do next. And here's how you can know what we're going to do next. I don't feel like he was completely prepared for that. Now, you can go in in one of two ways. You can go in and say, hey, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be comfortable with where the market's priced. And I'm not going to push against it. Or two, I'm uncomfortable and I'm going to push against it. 
he didn't really do either very well, I think. He, it's like if you see that Powell plunge, that chart you had, you fell off and then you came back and then the market didn't know quite what to do with it. I still have my futures trading similar to where they were before. I need to update them. They're, they're kind of in flux now, I think, when the, when, when the contract turns over. Uh, uh-huh. and, and I'm getting some different readings right now. But I think the cut, at least for September, is still baked in. But I, I think there are questions now about why the Fed would do the next cut. What's the metric to watch? Um, and, and I guess I'll ask you this in another way. Mm-hmm. Mid-cycle implies that we are still in the same cycle that we were in prior right, to this right, rate cut. Right. For the first rate cut in a decade, more than a decade. Right. So do you think that's what he meant? Yes, I do. And I think okay. that's what this is, and I think that's what it always was going to be, right? It was compared to 95, compared to 98, but it's not 2001, and it's not 2008. I think that's okay. what he meant to imply. And whether that's one or two or three, but it's not five, six, seven, eight, and it's not down to zero. Okay. Steve, thank you. Pleasure. Steve Leesman in Washington for us. How do we trade this market? What did we make of Jerome Powell's comments, Guy? It was an impossible situation. And the president, of course, coming out, you knew this tweet was coming at some point, whether it's going to be during our show at some point later this evening, you knew exactly what was coming. But the fact that President Trump says, but I am certainly not getting much help from the Federal Reserve, what does that mean, I'm not getting help? I mean, the Fed's job isn't to help the president of the United States. It's to do its right for our economy. Powell was in a no-win situation. But the president is very tactful, and he's done this now for the last two and a half years. The Fed is now set up to be the fall guys and gals. And if the market goes lower, here's your villain, folks. So I think they were in a no-win situation. He did what he needed to do. How do you trade it? I don't know. I mean, if you look, and, you know, we can talk about this, but the last couple really big names, Amazon reported right at the all-time highs has sold off. Facebook, the same thing. We'll see what happens with Apple, but it seems to be setting up for the same thing with uh, Facebook and Amazon. So I don't know. Maybe the market has finally gotten too far ahead of itself. So maybe we're in for that 5% pullback that Tony Dwyer's been talking about. Are things really different from what we thought Powell would say? We, I mean, 25 basis points and ending the balance sheet runoff earlier by two months, and then just sort of we don't know what's next. No, look, uh, we're going to grade the Fed president later on the show. That's going to be a lot of fun. And 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 it is, Guy is critical of the, pre- the president's statements. I am as well. Um, I have to say, though, I think he's right. I, I, I think the market was expecting a much more aggressive Fed. And not, the market um, is only going on what the Fed had guided them to. I, I think we got to a place where the Fed's pivot for most of 2019 was really about we are no longer in tightening mode. How we got to, we are actually going to be cutting possibly 20 more likely 50, but three or four cuts in 2019 is something that I think is firmly on the Fed's shoulders. So so back to the market here, if you think about what's really moving, the dollar is no longer under control of the Fed, and maybe it's not supposed to be once again, but central bank differentials are clearly uh, a catalyst and a driver for dollar and dollar movement. If you look at emerging markets, which traded all the way through the 200-day, who are the places and what are the asset classes that are most at risk for a higher dollar? And and the impact is going to be emerging markets, it's going to be commodities, it's going to be materials, it's going to be anything that's dollar sensitive. And we were showing showing yields, we were showing the dollar, and these are 
are our asset classes that moved in a very unexpected way, considering what had happened. Yeah, today. opposite of what you would have expected. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'll just make one point. You know, what Powell has done in this pivot over the last seven months or so really smacks of doing whatever it takes to keep this uh, reflation or whatever this you know economy that we've had now that's been recovering for ten years in place. And juxtapose that to seven years ago, where ECB President Mario Draghi coined that phrase, "I'll do whatever it takes to save the euro, to save the euro banking zone, or whatever." Just look at we talk about this seven years on from when Draghi's going to do whatever he takes. You know where the euro box, uh, euro uh, bank stock index is? The exact same place it was in July of 2012. So really? when you think about this, that we are doing this in a recovery, we are starting a rate cutting cycle. And Steve Leisman just said, but it's not that, a cycle. It's well, not well, a cycle. Well, but, and well, that was a disappointment. I, I, <laughs> well, but, I, but, but I understand. But, but who knows? And, and that's the point about why we had so much volatility. No one knows. And it, for him to say, pal, it's not 01 or 08. Who the heck knows? I mean, just who knows? So to me, I just think it's a total failure. He got pushed around by the markets in Q4 of 2018, and he's gotten pushed around by the president. So do you feel he stumbled today then? Oh, Powell? my God. It was a disaster. He absolutely stumbled. And I think this is the second time we've seen this out of Powell, At actually. Least. Right. But, but for, sure, for sure, too. And I think the first time, he then clarified later on. He, he was going off script, and that, then he went back to script, and that actually sort of helped When he went things. back to script, he actually had a physical piece of paper. He, he actually had a physical piece of paper. And, and he went, right. And he was better off for that. Right, right. And, and, and so it's interesting to watch what's, what, what occurred today because we watched this market all of a sudden tumble. I mean, we were down over 420-some-odd points at one point on the lower end, came all the way back, and then all of a sudden here we are down 300 points. The interesting thing in terms of the derivatives market, I don't know what was sensed out, but just a week ago, we had those VIX calls that were being bought. 200,000 August 20 calls were bought with the VIX trading around 12 and a half. That was just a week ago. So the derivatives market, once again, is sort of telling us something that they really have been in front of what's going on mm-hmm. and some of the reactions. And I think, Mel, it's really interesting to see how strong and how impressive that was that somebody out there had figured out that we're going to see a pretty nice spike in volatility, 30 plus percent in a week. And that's about how long ago it was, 12.50 up towards 16, a little bit above today. That's something that's really interesting to me because these derivative markets have been absolutely dead on for the month of July. So given given the action that you've seen in the past couple of weeks, how are you feeling today? Are you feeling more bullish than you were 24 hours ago? I don't know. More bearish? Yeah, I I wouldn't say more bullish, but I would say this. Uh, The the one thing that we've seen time and time again, it's always been very short term. And I've been Mm -hmm. saying that for the entire year of 2019. Everything we're seeing, a week out, two weeks out, a couple of months out maybe, we're starting to see people start to feel out these markets and go a little bit further out, Mel. So what that really tells me is people are starting to get a little bit of confidence about the markets. 300 points today, let's be honest, from where we just ran up to in July Whatever. to where we are now. Whatever. Yes, yes, yeah, to I your mean, point. Come on. Yeah. Exactly right. No because big. of that, this is this is a little bit of a blip right now. Right. We'll have to see how this digests through the market over the next couple of days. For more analysis on the Fed decision in today's market moves, let's bring in the man who moves markets, Marco Kalanovic, global head of macro quantitative and derivative strategy at J.P. Morgan. Marco, it's great to have you back here at the Nasdaq market site. Um, what do you make of, of everything that went on today? Well, we got a 25 bips cut and, and, and we got the end of the QT. So I think net-net it's a positive, you know. Uh, we just had a stro- having a strong earnings season. So, um, um, I, you know, I think market a little bit overreacted. Obviously, we had a, a, a Powell press conference. Before 2.30, actually, market was, was doing pretty fine. You know, so market was fine, actually, with the decision, with the statement. Um, uh, so, so I think uh, I think market overreacted, and obviously we, we had the, the, this a bit of unfortunate communication. Uh, so I do think market will adjust it and maybe and recover. You know, so question is, does it take you know immediately one day or a few days? We'll see. But I would I would say like, look, um, 
mid-cycle, this definition of mid-cycle, we tend to believe also that we are in mid-cycle. So would you rather take a mid-cycle and 25 bips cut or we say end of the cycle and 50 bips cut or, you know, I would rather take a mid-cycle and cut than, and, and uh, decent earnings, uh, retail activity, uh, uh, you know, jobs. Uh, so, so, so I would rather take that than sort of economy falling off the cliff and then aggressive hiking, hiking you know, from so, equity side. So with the statement and uh, in the news conference, this lays the foundation for the market to do what? So I think market will 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 consolidate a little bit, but we do think market market will go higher. You know, and and our price target is 3,200 uh, for for the 12 month out. Uh, central banks globally are cutting. Uh, economic activity. We have a problem with manufacturing, obviously, you know, but the other side services are actually uh, are actually doing uh, doing quite fine. So, so we do think that sort of uh, we will go through the soft patch. Market will recover, and and with the lower rates and more monetary easing globally, it can actually grow into the into the higher multiples. So, uh, so we are actually optimistic. Marco, the Fed's the lead clearly, but sort of buried within that is the fact that U.S. and China talks seem to have broken down. Mm -hmm. Whatever you whatever you want to use, not going to talk again until September. Where does that come into the calculus? At some point, it seems like we're just getting strung out. Yeah, it's certainly it's hurting global trade. It's hurt, hurting manufacturing. It's hurting cyclicals. You know, and we are seeing that. You know, if you look at the sort of market, you know, market reached all-time highs recently, and and but it's a very bifurcated. You know, there are two markets. You know, there is sort of defensives, uh, uh, high-quality uh, growth stocks on one side, and on the other side you have a sort of higher beta stocks, value stocks, and cyclicals, you know, like, so these, so this value segment really is almost pricing as if we are heading into recession for sure, and, you know, this other low volatility defensive segment and growth segment is actually pricing, is, is a bit of a rich, so we do think. So, uh, so basically, tr that's a reason, that's a, a consequence of a trade war, um, and uh, we think that it's very stretched, you know, it's almost like a rubber, the spread call between value and low volatility is, is at extreme points, so, uh, so we do think that that uh, with some stabilization of the economy, with the more accommodative central banks, hopefully some progress on a trade, you know, and, and of course that's the biggest risk, that's a still a bigger overhang, but we think actually that convergence can happen. We saw it a little bit with the semiconductors and some other s uh, segments, obviously now today is a bit of a setback, but we think that process will continue and maybe stuff that is very expensive will not go as much up, you know, but there's, there, there's segments of the markets which are almost priced uh, for recession, you know, so we think that can recover. With this bifurcation of the market, mm -hmm though, Marco. I'm, I'm wondering if you're concerned at all about positioning and, and this notion of the crowded trades and, and whether or not that will exacerbate what could come eventually. So we think there are definitely crowded trades, you know, like and both on the long side and on the short side, you know, so specifically on the long side, we think these bond proxies, you know, the, 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 the very high quality, low volatility stocks, uh, we think they're, they're very, very crowded. On the other side, the other crowd is shorting value, you know, so we think value is very crowded short and it doesn't need at this point much to converge and if you remember yesterday and day before yesterday we saw very big move in energy so look for instance oil and gas names you know like gas was sort of flattish yesterday some of these names with up 15 20 percent so you clearly had the short squeeze you know again some of these segments are shorted between 10 and 30 percent of the of their capitalization uh, obviously it's used as a funding trade for high quality and 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 growth names you know like so so we think that can that can snap back Okay, Marco, great to see you. Thank you for coming by. Marco Kalanovic, uh, J.P. Morgan. How do you trade what Marco said? Well, so the inconvenient truth is that this is a mid-cycle adjustment, and, and <laughs> that that's not a bad thing, according to Marco. And, and, and if you think about the market, a lot of people, there's a lot of positioning in this market that would have that, that relished today's move and want more of it, and that's one of the reasons why I'm actually not sure we get a lot more of this, because I think when the dust settles, uh, central banks are still unbelievably
reasonably accommodative. And as we all just said, like a 3% pullback, who cares? Well, I mean, we're up 20% wait, this year. How are you sure that, we don't I, you know, get a lot more of it if we do a rate cut, the first one in 10 years, and the dollar rallies to a two-year high? And we know that we need a lower dollar, right, for things to keep going. How are how much are everyone we so certain that it's one and done at 25 bips? And I believe that's the question we're all going to have to ponder with for a while. Because to me, if they change course and they start to raise at some point because the data gets better, is that good for risk assets? All right. Well, we've been talking a lot about how Powell performed mm. and how he did today. We're actually going to grade. No, we're not. Chairman wow. Powell. We have to. Yes. Have to. Does he um, know that? Is he watching? I hope he's, he usually watches, as I understand. Pinajarian, why don't you kick it up. off? Your grade for Powell. I'm throwing up a B minus. Wow. Here's what I think. So, I think the actual cut was an A, but I think the communication factor was at least a C minus. So that sort of bounces it out. I put him in a B minus. I think. He's in an impossible situation. I think you mentioned that. And because of that, he did the right thing. His communication skills sometimes are lacking, and I think that's what people had a hard time with today. Uh, Guy, why don't yes. you uh, give us your yeah, I mean, Go to me because Tim is still writing. Yeah, I give Tim's him a gentleman's <laughs> C, Mel. A gentleman's C. For all the reasons that Pete said, impossible situation, and he's in this job now how long? What's about 16, 17 months? And he still hasn't figured out how to talk to the media and to talk to the market. That should give him an F, but you know what? For the effort, I'll give him a C. So yeah. I, I'm going to, you know, anytime you're grading, you have to go on the creativity, the technical score, and then the overall score. Wow. Look, on the technical the score, I, I give them a D. I have no idea what the Fed is doing anymore. I have no idea what we're judging them on. They used to be data dependent. I don't really know what this Fed told us today. In terms of creativity, look, the fact that they told us a mid-cycle adjustment, he could have articulated this better. But the bottom line is the difficulty factor of this maneuver was a 720-degree uh, Hamel Camel guy, Hamel Camel, and therefore it's an A. Overall, it's a C plus because, frankly, I'm disappointed with this Fed, and I think they could have handled the entire 2019 year better. Dan Nathan. Yeah, you know, listen, I just give him a D, because wow. what I think of what's going on here is is pretty shocking when you think about it this far in the cycle. I just said it here. Um, he's been pushed around by the markets. He's been pushed around by the president. There is no crisis right here. In my adult life, every rate cut, for the most part, has been to match a, some sort of financial crisis and the threat of it spreading. The only crisis I see right now is in our institutions, and I don't think Jerome Powell did a very good job in instilling confidence in the independence of the Fed today. Coming up, check out shares of retailer Nordstrom ripping higher today. We'll tell you what is behind the big move and how to trade it. Plus, Qualcomm and Lamb Research on the move. We'll tell you what's driving those chip names after hours. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got breaking news in the IPO market. Let's get to Leslie Picker with the details. Hey, Leslie. Hey, Melissa. Smile Direct Club readying an IPO that could raise up to $1 billion. That's according to three sources I spoke with who are familiar with this offering. The company is already on file confidentially and looking to flip its prospectus to be public next month with a debut targeted for September, although that timing could change, the sources say. Smile Direct Club manufactures and sells at-home teeth straightening kits. Even though the company was founded just five years ago, a source tells me they're on track for a billion dollars in revenue in 2019. I'm also told the company is working with J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, Bank of America, Credit Suisse, and Jefferies uh, to manage this offering. CNBC requested a comment from Smile Direct Club. A representative wrote back, quote, the company, as a matter of policy, does not comment on market rumors. However, 
We are always exploring financing alternatives to take advantage of favorable market conditions. I wasn't able to learn their intended valuation target, but the company raised it a $3.2 billion valuation back in October, and I'm told the valuation will likely be significantly higher than those levels. Melissa. Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker, and of course, you think about competitor Align Technologies, and remember that recently um, they had worse than expected second half guidance. They yep. cited competition um, from competitors here and also uh, a downtick in business in China. Right, and, and I think going into that side of things, I don't know if this is the, the time you'd want to actually put an IPO out there, quite frankly. Unless because they're the competitors gaining share from Align Unless they're gaining share, and that, <laughs> that part I think is going to be very difficult to figure out because there are multiple different players now in this area. I was, I'm a guy, I, I used Invis a lot. And so I actually know what, I was going to say team, something really. about you. Let me, uh, thank you. I got a gold yes. smile right now. But Fantastic. let me tell you, I, I will say this. It was very, very expensive. I, I, I say that as a guy who's got a little bit of money and, and I'm looking around and I'm thinking, wow, I can barely afford this. How do other people afford this? It's a very expensive you, process. You know, it was interesting today in the halftime report. I don't know if you guys saw Leon Cooperman. He was talking about markets. He was talking about valuations. It was really interesting. You were on the program. I, mean, yeah, I, I happen to be the there. The only thing that yeah. he sees froth in the equity markets right now is in the IPO market, which I thought was really interesting. So we're seeing a lot of sorts of names coming to market that we might normally see, but maybe it's the valuations that are getting a little nuts here. And so um, to me, you know, is this a fad, you know, doing this sort of thing? If it's that expensive, is it a function of economy where it is and a bull market, that sort of thing? Maybe, but it's it a just have, is, It's a luxury. Yeah, I, I, it I think it's also a function of private equity markets right now. I mean, what yeah. we're seeing are deals that are very well funded. End rates. When, yeah. when money is free, um, private equity is is a <coughs> asset allocation that actually sees a lot of a lot of interest. And and I would just say these guys have raised four hundred fifty million dollars before they've ever come to market. <laughs> so a very well funded company, like every other IPO that's come through. And I think this is the nature of what we're seeing. You know, it's interesting. I mean, this is Jim Cramer actually coined this. It's a selfie generation. People want to look good. Want to look good. I mean, me, it doesn't matter. I mean, I. Look does not you already look good, guys. You got beautiful teeth. I tell you what, I would age. clean up those chompers if I were you. They're crooked, okay? Oh, Dance with the girl you went to the prom with. Anyway. Let me just say this. Align was a $400 stock yep. in September of last year. It's a $200 stock now, and it might be more expensive now than it was in September of 2018. Huh. What's my point is valuation absolutely does matter. All right. Matter. Coming up. Thinking Chips, Qualcomm and Lamb Research, both in the red after reporting earnings. We'll have more on those names next, plus one social stock flying high today, and it's locking in its best month in over a year. The mystery chart will be revealed a little mm. later on. Mm. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. We'll be back right after this quick break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of chipmakers Qualcomm and Lamb Research moving lower in the after hours following the reports after the bell. Let's get to John Fort with the latest from those companies. John. Yeah, Melissa, Lamb Research is basically in line on the top and beat on the bottom. Qualcomm missed on the top and beat on the bottom. Investors weren't thrilled with the guidance from either one. Qualcomm's a bigger fish, so let's start there. Two things are hurting them. Fresh love for Huawei in China and a slowdown ahead of 5G. Here's the CEO on the call. As a result of the export ban, Huawei shifted their emphasis to building market share in the domestic China market, where we do not see the corresponding benefit in product or licensing revenue. In addition, our customers in the China market are working through their existing 4G inventory and de-emphasizing their second-half 2019 4G launches as they shift their priorities to their 5G launches in early 2020. As a result, 
we do not expect the typical seasonal benefits given these unique market dynamics. And Molokov told me before the call he's seeing that impact around the world of waiting for 5G. Qualcomm saying business should pick up in the first calendar quarter of 2020. Early 5G momentum looks very strong, they said. Lamb Research saying the same. Naturally feeling some pain in the memory market with CEO Tim Archer saying spending there is tracking lower than they saw even last quarter. Foundry, though, is doing better thanks to that 5G ramp. Lots of choppiness the execs are talking about in chips on both calls, guys. All right, John, thank you. John Ford back at headquarters. We can trade these. Um, also the big move that we saw on AMD today. Let's talk, well, we'll hold off on AMD for a second. Qualcomm, it's amazing. For the size of the company this is, since beginning of 2016, the moves in these stocks over a six-month period is staggering. And I'm about to say something everybody's probably going to disagree, but $70 here, you might actually want to look at this. Fourth quarter guidance, I know, was a disaster. Do you really? But this was a $50 stock. No, but this was a $50 stock in January. (laughs) It was a $90 stock like a month ago. And here we are at the midpoint of that range. Tomorrow's going to be a messy day. I get it. But 70 is a really interesting With entry Apple point. Apple now you know, buying Intel's part of the business for the right. smartphone chips, do you want to be in Qualcomm? You know what's interesting? Qualcomm, to Guy's point, they might have lowered guidance enough for this current quarter that it's probably worth a do somewhere in the 60s. That thing is probably going back towards 65, Guy, before it bottoms out. But when you think about that with expectations lower, one thing that we know is that, yes, that they just uh, they settled this longstanding uh, license dispute with Apple. Apple, we know, is not going to have a 5G phone until 2021. So they are locked in to using Qualcomm's chips right now. And when Guy talked about why Qualcomm came back in, it had something to do with Intel, just sold their chip modem business, to Apple. So that's where all the fear is. They might have lowered earnings enough. This stock is cheap, trading 11 times next oh, year's expected earnings. somebody agreeing yeah. with well, you. Well, wow. and I'll do, it, I'll do it, but I'll quasi-agree just quasi, in that. I don't yeah. think there's what any surprise. What does that mean? You either agree or you don't agree. <laughs> quasi-agreed. I'm going I'm okay, to keep. Okay, go ahead. Explain. But, so I'm going to explain because I think the softer cell phone, uh, smartphone cycle is no big surprise. The OEM market share no big surprise. Huawei, no big surprise. You can make some argument that Huawei is transitory. So if you're looking to buy a company that's probably got through some of its bigger kind of structural existential issues in, in, in Apple in the short run. Um, and and I, I also just think if you look at the chips more broadly, we got to a place here where if you look at the semis as measured by the SMH or whatever you want to look at, we're at a 94, nine-day RSI just one week ago today. We're as overbought as they had been in two years. And we pulled back 6% in five days because we should have pulled back in 6% five days. Yeah, and when I look at a lot of these names, I brought this up last week, I think there's a lot of tradable names out there, Mel, and I think there are the other names I don't mind really holding. So Intel's one of, the, one of my favorites. Now, it, after earnings, post-earnings, 56 and change, and then immediately fall, right. fell right back down to where it is. I still am a believer in that company because I think that they, they can still deliver. I think the rest of these are almost all trades for me, whether it's Micron or AMD. I mean, AMD is constantly this extremely volatile trader. And I, and I look across Micron, same thing, $39 to $49, I mean, in very rapid fashion. So I love those as trades. I think they are a nightmare to hold on to in terms of trying to figure out what you're going to do with this stock uh, at longer term. I think that makes it really difficult. But I look at Lamb Research. That seems awfully cheap right now, but it started off the year. It was up 50-plus percent coming into earnings. This pullback's not even enough. I think if it gets under 200, then it starts to get back to being interesting for me. All right, coming up, more on the wild day on Wall Street. Stocks sliding on some major eyebrow-raising comments from Fed Chair Jerome Powell. We will break down those moves. Plus, Square reporting earnings tomorrow, and options traders are betting that it is hip to be square. We'll tell you what's got them so bullish on the stock. More Fast Money right after this. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. A big day for the markets after Fed Chairman Jerome Powell said today's 25 basis point cut was not the beginning of a cut cycle. That sent the Dow plunging more than 400 points at the lows. Bob Bassani is live from the New York Stock Exchange to take us through a wild day on Wall Street. Hey, Bob. It was a lot of fun, uh, but confusing. Now, Powell said his actions today were well telegraphed. And indeed, the 25 basis point cut certainly was well telegraphed. But Powell did not provide the guidance that the market essentially wanted. Traders had levitated themselves into believing that a series of rate cuts were coming. And Powell's press conference started off poorly when he implied the rate cut was a mid-cycle adjustment, which markets took to mean this may be one and done. Not good, since most were expecting two or more rate cuts sometime this year. The S&P dropped, as you see here, almost 50 points on that, about 1.5%, but then rallied off the lows as Powell tried to clarify his comments by announcing, quote, I didn't say it's just one. Well, that just confused things even more. What's this all mean? It highlights that stocks are pricey and there is very little room for missteps. It's tough to be bullish right now and the S&P is up 20% for the year. Earnings are essentially flat and there is so little clarity on global growth and tariffs and trade. What has made it easier for the bulls to stay bullish is the direction of interest rates. The markets are becoming more dependent on the belief that dovish central banks will provide a back stop to slower global growth. And it's true. Lower interest rates do help in these situations. The markets, though, were tilted to be an extremely dovish position and the outcome. And they Powell essentially struggled to deliver that outcome. The markets bear some of the blame here, Melissa. Nothing in the U.S. economic data or comments from Fed officials of late provided really strong support for a continuing rate cut narrative. UBS said it best after the meeting, the title of their note, the data won. Back to you, Melissa. Thanks, Bob. Bob Bassani at the New York Stock Exchange. That was an interesting take on Bob's part. Blame the markets for this reaction. Well, I, again, I, I think the markets for the first five months of 2019 were, were really under the view that as long as the Fed gets out of the way and is not providing a tailwind for us in terms of additional easing, that we're, we're, in, a, we're in a better place. Uh, I, I think the blame is, is purely on the communication of the Fed. We've been particularly critical tonight on this desk, uh, and I don't think there was anything that, that, that Powell could have done. Having said all that, um, we just, we're, we're 90% through second quarter earnings season. We have gotten a, 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 a relative, uh, I think, upgrade to expectations. We do have a case where uh, Macro is mixed at best. You, you can't tell me that the macro is good in this country. If you look at that Chicago PMI, if you look at these ISM numbers, I mean, we're back at 2016 levels. And in fact, I, you know, we may be back to where we want to be from a Fed perspective in another six months. Well, the Fed freakout might have taken a chunk out of the markets today, but our next guest is here to sort through the rubble and will tell us what could happen next. Time to go off the charts with Newton Advisors President Mark Newton. Mark, take it away. Thanks, Melissa. So let's take a look at what S&P did today and really put this entire move into perspective in this volatility. When you take a look at what we did, we pulled back and held exactly where prior April highs were as long as last September. So this area is very important to the broader trend. That's 29.54. A move down under that level means that we're likely going to start at least a 5 to 8% correction, in my view, over the course of August through October. As of now, that has not happened. But we did see some warning signs in recent days. We saw semiconductors down about 6% over the last week. We also saw the VIX up about 15%. Number of new lows on the MYSE also increased and almost doubled from 34 to, uh, to, to over 70 as of yesterday. So all this happened before today. So there certainly were a few warning signs of the market slowing a little bit, breadth of momentum stalling. 
that in general today was a surprise for a lot of people. And momentum gradually is going to start to turn down, which I think is going to bring about a pullback in the market finally, which a lot of people have been waiting for for some time. The dollar, let's take a look at the dollar. We moved really to the highest level we've seen in almost two years. So a big, big spike in the dollar today. And that's coinciding with a lot of weakness in commodities along with emerging markets. That is really something to put into perspective, this huge move in the dollar. Most European markets, obviously, we're seeing those currencies start to sell off a little bit more rapidly. And you think that a dovish tilt by the Fed would maybe cause the dollar to stall. And we've actually seen exactly the opposite. Emerging markets, these actually bore the brunt of what happened today directly because of the dollar. You see EEM breaking down under the key level of prior lows. So that's a negative. We're seeing emerging markets underperform, down about 1.2% for today. The S&P was down about a percent. My thinking is a dollar spike should lead EM to underperform further. I'm thinking we pull back right down to 40, 50, or 40, and that's really something to watch. Dollar moving higher, emerging markets and commodities underperforming, Mm -hmm. and the start in general of momentum getting a little bit more negative on S&P after a big move and then a stall out. Mark, I feel like the, the dollar is sort of the linchpin in terms of, you know, how, how other places in the markets move. So in terms of how high the dollar could go, what are you seeing? Where's the next resistance point? You know, I'm thinking that we're actually very close to a level of resistance. I'm starting to get counter trend signals of exhaustion based on DeMarc. We're getting pretty overdone very quickly. So I'm not certain that we go over to 99 and over 100. I'm thinking in the next few weeks, actually, the dollar is going to start to stall out and start to backtrack. And so any sort of pullback would then really coincide maybe with the EM space starting to stabilize. For now, it looks early going into August, so I still think we're going to see a little bit more in the next couple weeks, and, uh, you know, we're going to have to wait and see. For now, it's a little bit premature. Can you tell from the charts at all whether that pullback in the dollar will actually be a pullback or will just be a stall to the upward trend? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, until we see it, you know, you really need to see movement down under this prior year's lows. And, you know, the the broader trend in the dollar has really been very, very range-bound in the last year. So we haven't really seen that kind of evidence that we're going to see, you know, the big pullback in the dollar. For now, it's been a lot stronger than people have anticipated in, in recent weeks. All right, Mark, great to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Mark Newton of Newton Advisors. Guy, what do you think? 27.50 was the low in the S&P on May 27th, recently rallied up to 30, I don't know, 25 or so. So if you're looking for a level in the S&P where it finds support, I think it comes in the form of about 28.90 or 3% from here, number one. Number two, you mentioned a dollar. I'm glad you did because one of sort of, if you're looking for a risk out there, don't think that the president isn't convening his inner circle and talking about are we going to inter- now's the time to intervene in the dollar? Let's take matters into our own hand because this dollar is on a runaway train. If that were to happen, it might work in the very short term. But in terms of what it means to the market, I think that could be really problematic. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting here, right? So the Fed told us that they lowered this insurance rate cut today because of global fears. And Tim just mentioned all the data that we've had that's been coming in week generally here, ex, uh, U.S. corporate earnings. But think about what's working right now. The S&P's at highs, the dollar's at multi-year highs, bonds just go up. You know, what are they? They're safety trades. You know, I mean, they're literally, we're seeing crowding in the safety trades because they're the flip side. Are of they safety at, trades well, or at, this is this a rotational trade? I mean, I, I, it's I, a flight to quality is what's going on. I mean, it's very clear. I mean, so to me. Which I, is I okay just, to be at, to go looking for quality. I think you brought it up But then earlier. they become very crowded. Well, maybe so. But I don't know that we're crowded yet. But I would say this. I mean, Lee Cooperman, you brought him up already, so I'll bring him up again. So he talked today, and he basically laid out to all of us. He said, hey, look. He goes, we are not in a bear market. I like what we're seeing, blah, 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 blah. But when asked the question, have you added anything, he said no. So that does say something to what you're talking about right now is here's a guy who's involved in the market. He's deep into it, and he's not finding the opportunities that he's looking for. That says a lot. He said he's not adding positions. 
I took away from that saying, hey, you know what? I got to start getting a few more put protections out there and continue to trade, but less longs in terms of stocks themselves. All right. Coming up, Twitter taking off today and up 20 percent on the month, but is now the time to chase the rally. We'll discuss. And while Twitter flies high, it is Square's big day tomorrow. The company reports results after the bell and often traders are betting the stock. We'll check all the boxes. We'll break down the action much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Twitter up 3% today, up more than 20% in July, making it the best performer in the S&P 500 this month. So will the social butterfly fly even higher? Tim. Well, if you look at revenue trends, we've got a couple quarters now of FX neutral north of 20% growth for a company that people said was not growing. Now, if you want to look at this on a multiple relative to a Facebook and other social media, it looks really expensive and tough to justify. But relative to itself, relative to where we were on DAU growth and revenue growth, I, I, I like Twitter. And I, you have to like the trends going into the election season, World Cup, all kinds of other things that are going to Olympics. I don't know. You know whatever, whatever people want to tweet about, Dan. <laughs> Are you saying Dan because he tweets a lot? Yeah, he's, he's active. He's no, a huge Twitter. I, 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 I would go to his Twitter feed right, right now. I think user. there's a certain individual who's kind of ruined Twitter for the world here. But one of the things that's really interesting, you can name all of those um, catalysts, but they're not really growing in a material factor here in the U.S. And we know that ARPU, average revenue per user, is much more in North America than it is in all these other places. So, I mean, to me, yeah, they're going to do $3 billion in sales this year. Um, you know, they've been profitable for six, seven quarters, something like that. Mm-hmm. Stock's breaking out. I think it looks fine. Um, I just don't think that, you know, they're ever going to get the scale that they need to be talked about in the same vein as a Facebook. I don't know that they'll get the scale, but they they are showing some growth to Tim's point. And I I actually like what they're doing. And they're actually showing a little more monetization because of that. So on top of all that, Dan, the other thing that's interesting is the call buying that we saw in there today. Really short term, though. Really. They expire Friday, but they're buying the 44 strike calls for like 30 cents today. So. I love seeing stuff like that. I love the risk reward. And it looks like Twitter wants to break out even higher. We see more and more of these trends where these stocks are trying to break out. They use the options. They were using them today. All right. Speaking of call buying, the other Jack Dorsey stock, Square, is also killing it this summer, up more than 30 percent since the beginning of June. And as that company gears up to report earnings tomorrow, options traders are expecting the payment stock to pay off. So, Dan, why don't you head over to the plaza and break it yeah, down? Yeah, so let's talk about this one. So Square reports tomorrow after the close. The options market is implying about a 7 percent move in either direction. <laughs> and that's basically in line with the move over the last four quarters and since its 2015 um, IPO. So the stock has been very active. But like Mel said, it's having in a heck of a year. Um, it's up 40% of the year, up 60% since December. Um, call volume ran really hot today. It was two times that of puts. But interestingly, you know, in a week that we're seeing some volatility in the broad market, a lot of the call activity was centered around short dated calls, weeklies. It looks like traders playing for um, some a near-term uh, pop after results tomorrow after the close. And just basically the most active call strike were the August 2nd weekly 82.5 calls, about 2,500 of those traded for an average about 240 so looking for a break even up near um, 85 bucks and if we just go to the chart it's actually kind of an interesting setup here um, this stock while that looks like pretty range bound that's the one year chart it's actually hit a bunch of technical resistance in and around 82 and a half 83 bucks also the choice of that strike to the downside
inside the 200-day moving average. Looks like some pretty decent support down um, about 10 bucks. But let's go to the long-term chart since it's 2015 IPO. And obviously, once this story became known, um, it broke out. It has been holding this uptrend. We obviously have had some pretty extreme volatility, some peak to trough declines. There's that resistance right there. So if you think that this company is going to post a beat and raise, it's still 20% from its 2018 highs, playing with the fine risk calls, isolating that range above resistance makes some sense. Okay, thanks for that, Dan. I'm going to do our obvious. Would you rather? Right. Yeah, you're Dorsey. Is it a would you rather? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Twitter or Square? It's too it's too Dorsey. Is that right? Yes. Um, Guy, take it away. Brilliant. Brilliant. I love that little. It's, it's easy for me. Twitter. I'm just telling you right now, I think Dan could be right on the square, but Twitter, to Pete's point, goes back to $47, which was the level we saw last July. I think it goes higher than that. TWTR there, sister. Pete, what do you say? <laughs> I'm going with Twitter as well. I don't know that I said 47, but I appreciate that call because they were buying the 44s. If he's right, giddy, giddy up. up. Oh, boy, Wait, Tim. Joker, joker, and a triple. Oh, nice. nice. I have to go with Twitter myself. Wow. I mean, there's no question Sweet. that's the jacked one to own, even though I own them both. All right. For more options action, be sure to check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Take a look at our Kramer cam. Jim is weighing in on the Fed decision after today's huge market day. That is at the top of the hour. Much more fast still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Nordstrom topping the tape today, jumping nearly 8% on reports the Nordstrom family is planning to increase its stake in the retailer. This comes a year after the company abandoned plans to take Nordstrom private. If you're a loyal viewer of the show, which I'm sure you are, you might recall this bold call Guy made on the desk earlier this week. J.W. Nordstrom report the first week of August. Big short interest. I think squeeze it into that. Brilliant. Guy, what do you do? It's brilliant. When they, usually they play a thing, brilliant. If you did say so. Brilliant. Well, thank you. They yeah. just played nice. it. Why not? It's almost as if the Nordstrom family was, what's today, Thursday? Was watching on Monday. Today's Wednesday, right? They might, they might have been. Stock's up 8% to today. Watch. I'll mention the short interest Big again fans. because if now you're short this stock in this environment, in the earnings, you're saying, OMG. I know what the cool kids say. That's what they say. I think it goes higher from here even still there, Mel. Really? Yeah, yeah we have, really. We've heard Raymond. this before just a couple of years ago. By the way, speaking of Nordstrom's, you should probably go out and get a new shirt. because I think This you're is why it's not true. Second of all, okay. I was going to say something. That's really funny. Your shirt looks like a tablecloth. Now it's the guy just doesn't look good on you. You're right. That was good. Really not going to a good place. Will somebody talk about Nordstrom? I just did. Besides you. Oh, Look, I, I, let, me, let me say this. It, it, to be buying Nordstrom based upon buyout rumors, you've been waiting in line for the last two years for these guys yeah. to take themselves private. It's not a reason to jump in there tomorrow. Let me ask you a question, though. Sure. So the last couple of quarters, they have been absolutely the, as bad as they could possibly be on their earnings call. And who's trying to buy them again? Who potentially wants to bring a pro? Uh, themselves. Just They've throwing that out. I mean, it's kind of an interesting thing that... Are they somehow, I don't know. Are they telling you something? Well, are they telling you something? I don't know. We're going to find out. What are they telling you? Yeah, what are like, they telling you? Well, does it seem a little odd that they're the only Pete ones who are willing suspicious. to buy them? I think it's a little suspicious. 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 S-P-E-C-I-O-U-S. In retail. In retail. You know, I think it's interesting that this stock was trading at multi-year lows. Lows. Just the other day. And, you know, when we talk about the consumer, that seems to be a huge bright spot right now. We've seen some good earnings. Um, you know, the uh, Fed chair even mentioned consumer spending. We haven't seen the department 
department stores yet, you know? And, okay. and I think, well, I'm just saying, but like. Why would you see them as a bright spot is, when their business is what basically I'm saying structurally, in danger? though, it looks like a, a race to the bottom. And, and really what we're likely to see is a combination of these things and then, you know, asset sales and all that sort of stuff. Macy's. Nordstrom's yeah, together. The whole shebang. So is that what you're Karen's Dillard's. Why you not? could throw that in there. Why not? Up next, final trades. <laughs> final trade time, Pete. I got to tell you, the Humana earnings were absolutely outstanding. This thing's going higher. Giddy up. Tim Seymour. I tell you what, subscription services at Square are also growing. It's been a great 18 months for Jack. Square is also a name I think you can play here. Dan, Nathan. Uh, yes, so EA, Electronic Arts, gapped up 9% this morning. Better expected earnings. Looks like it was off. The race has only closed up 4%. Sold out for the market. I think you trade this one with a 90 stop. Goes back to 100. Got I it. want to say, great call by you last night, Mel. You don't even realize, but I said to you, Mel, will Thor be a Met this time oh, tomorrow? And, I said, and you said, well, yeah. sure he will. Nice. Of course. But, I mean, it's amazing. Your Good baseball point. acumen is almost passed by. Night. It's really incredible. It really is. I mean, it's, you never cease to amaze Inside me. baseball on Fast Money. You get uh, it. Uh, you know what does I trade. mean, yeah, the Twitter that Pete saw calls in. Hey, yo. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money. Jim Kramer starts right now. <laughs>